0: You're listening to the Redemption Church podcast with Pastor Daniel Williams as we go through a series called God Redeems, a study through the book of Exodus. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 3 tonight. And uh, last week, Pastor Daniel took us all the way to Exodus chapter 3 to verse 12. Okay, to verse 11, actually. Um, So, but I want to jump backwards um, because he was doing an overview of some very specific topics that the Lord had shown him. Uh, But I want to go backwards a little bit and reread that and put all of chapter three together for us tonight and touch a little bit Uh, on uh, what God was talking about when he said, uh, you're standing on holy ground, take those sandals off. Um, So we're gonna look at that tonight uh, as we read the scripture. So Exodus chapter three, I'm gonna read straight through one to 11. Like I said, Pastor Daniel covered the majority of this last week. I just wanna pick up on a few of these things to help us build into the story and where we're going tonight. Uh, So it says, now Moses, I'll be reading out of the ESV. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, Then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. and you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt, out of Egypt? You're on holy ground. You're on holy ground, okay? Um, So uh, we're we're gonna talk about this idea. I wanna stop here, and I wanna make a few comments on what's going on. Uh, I want to look specifically at verses three through five. The bush wasn't consumed, it says. Now, when you read through the passage of Scripture, Moses seems like this very like um, unimpressed man when he sees that the bush is not consumed. Uh, but uh, I don't know. If you really understand and know the character of Moses, uh, you have to know and understand that Moses Remember when he saw the uh, Egyptian beating up the, um, uh, the Hebrews, he overreacted and uh, killed the man and then buried him in the sand. You guys remember that story? Uh, so Moses, his character is not quite exactly like this passage of scripture reads. Now we're hoping and praying that over 40 years of being a Midian that he probably grew a little bit. And being a little bit older, you guys know As you get older, your patience kind of grows a little bit, right? Or not. Some of you are more impatient (laughs) as you've gotten older. Um, But you tend to be a little bit more level-headed. Some of you tend to be a little bit more level-headed as you get older. We're hoping that. But I I always think it's funny because when I read through this passage of Scripture right there, it says, And Moses looked aside and saw a bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And he said, I will turn aside to this great sight why the bush is not being burned, okay? Now, if you guys were in the middle of the wilderness and you were walking through the wilderness, now, from my understanding, one of these dried out nasty bushes, they just combust sometimes and burn. It's not anything completely out of the ordinary to see a burning bush in the middle of the desert, okay? So just mind you that, that's why he's not shocked that there's a burning bush. But the problem is, is because they're so dry, they usually only burn for a couple of minutes and it's, and it's gone. And so he looks and he sees and this bush is continuing to burn. And he's like, whoa, wait a minute. There's a bush and it's burning, but it's not burning. It's not being burned up. What's going on? So Moses is a curious guy. He's not just going to pass by this opportunity. So he walks over there, okay? And he's like, what's going on with this bush? And all of a sudden, the bush starts talking to him. You ever put yourself in one of these stories? I mean, think about that, guys. There's a bush on fire, and it's talking to him. Now, understand It's not like Moses had this continual conversation with God like some of the other characters in the Bible that we read about, right? Sometimes we read about some of these guys and they're continually having these conversations. You look at Elijah and it's like this constant thing that he and God are having this communication back and forth. So when God speaks to him, it's not like, what, who is that voice? What's going on? Right? Moses didn't have that. This is all new. So I imagine that Moses probably reacted a little bit differently, okay, than the, I will turn aside to see what a great sight, why the bush is not burned, okay? He probably said those, but probably not in that tone, tone of voice, right? He probably said, whoa, I'm going I'm to look over here and see why that bush is not being burned up. This is really weird, you guys, Okay? Now, that's our modern language. Moses didn't talk like that, I'm sure. So the bush is burning. Moses goes over. All of a sudden, the bush starts talking to him and says, hey, take off your sandals. You're on holy ground. You're on holy ground. Why, all of a sudden, did the middle of the desert where Moses had been time and time and time again become holy ground? Because God was there. Because God's presence was there. This should mean something to us, guys. This should mean something. Anywhere that God's presence is has become holy ground. Has become holy ground. So think about that for just a second. Think about that. Anywhere where God's presence is has become holy ground. So, you know the scripture actually says that God's presence dwells in you? Do you know that the scripture actually says that there's no longer a need for a temple? That's why it was okay for it to be destroyed and not rebuilt. You can go to Israel today. There is no temple. Now, fascinatingly enough, They've got all the plans, they've got all the things because they believe that they need a temple to be in the presence of the holy God. But we know and understand from the scripture that God's presence dwells in us. So take off your sandals, y'all, you're on holy ground. I can't speak for you. But I can speak for myself. I know that God's presence dwells inside of me. 1 Corinthians says, I am the temple of the living God, the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, I know it's not because of anything that I've done, but because of what he's done in me. But y'all, this is holy ground because God's presence is here. Galatians 2.20 tells me, that I have been together crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but he lives in me. This is holy ground. And I hope and pray that all around you is holy ground as well. That everywhere around you, that everywhere you go is holy ground. And here's the thing, church. We know it and we've heard it a thousand times. Everywhere you go, God is with you. Keep that in mind. Everything we do, everything we click on, everything we look at, every time we talk to our wife one way or another, every time we react in the grocery store, in traffic, everywhere, God is with you. Now, that should, should give us a little bit of... Uh, but also a little bit of comfort because we know that God is loving and we know that God is gracious and we know that God is forgiving. And he's not sitting there with his checklist going, oh, he did that again, oh, he did that again, oh, he did that again. Because if he was, my list would be really long. I'm guessing yours probably would be too. That holy ground is not based on you. It's based on God dwelling in you. Colossians chapter one tells us that because of the body of Christ on the cross, you are considered holy and blameless. Holy and blameless. I'm pretty sure if I did a survey, especially of the wives, None of the husbands would be considered blameless in this room. Am I right? All the wives are out there going, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But the same in the opposite direction. None of us feel blameless. But Scripture says it's because of the cross. You're considered holy and blameless. Holy and blameless. So we saw in verse 11 that Moses had been humbled. He says, who am I? to approach Pharaoh. That's a hard word for me, y'all. I'm from Kentucky. That's why I say y'all a lot, okay? And for a long time, I said Pharaoh as Pharaoh. Um, so if, I, if that slips out, I'm sorry. I get excited and slip back into my little accent, okay? Uh, so Moses, remember I told you he had matured a little bit, just a little bit, just a little bit, okay? He's matured now. And he says, Lord, who am I? that you would, you would want me, that I would even be able to stand here on holy ground. Who am I? Remember when he was younger, 40 years ago, before he got this call on his life? Like I said, he was in Egypt, he saw somebody do something, and he's like, I'm gonna fix this, those are my people. Those are my people and I'm gonna fix this. And he went head first into a situation and he did something really stupid that would cost him 40 years in the wilderness. 40 years in the wilderness. He was right there in the midst of Egypt where God was going to use him to deliver the Israelites out of Egypt. But first, he had to be humbled a little bit. I don't know if you've ever been through a season of humbling, but I went through one recently. It ain't fun. It is not fun to be humbled by the Lord. It is not fun at all. But it is one of man's number one struggles, pride, pride. Be careful, church. Don't be prideful. Don't get out ahead of the Lord. That's what Moses did. And he spent 40 years tending sheep, in Midian, on the side of a mountain. And then he saw a flame. And he went towards it. And God began to work in a mighty way. He got humbled, he got humbled by the Lord. Here's the interesting thing is Moses says, who am I to go before this Pharaoh? Think about this for a minute. We know that the first Pharaoh was Moses' grandfather because it was Moses' do- I mean it was Pharaoh's daughter who had adopted Moses and raised him all those years and he stayed in Egypt for 40 years. He was a full grown man roaming around in Egypt, we, we know that, we see that, okay? And so he had an adopted mom that was Pharaoh's daughter. And so that Pharaoh died, okay, it said, all right? And now Moses is to go back. And so because the Pharaohs were actually based on heritage, okay, or bloodline most of the time, it would be the firstborn son of the previous Pharaoh, that would be the Pharaoh. This very likely is Moses' uncle. It's his uncle. So uh, scripture doesn't tell us that he recognized Moses and said, hey, what are you doing back here? Right? They made a movie called Prince of Egypt that showed these boys growing up together and then the the, uh, Pharaoh's son becoming uh, Pharaoh. And it's not necessarily completely scriptural, but it's an interesting thought there. But it was definitely in some way part of Moses' adopted family. This Pharaoh would be. And Moses is like, who am I? I, I, don't, I don't have any right. I don't have any, any way to be able to come before him. I don't, it's, it's not me. So who are you afraid of, Moses? Who are you afraid of, Moses, right? Here's the thing. God is so gracious and compassionate. Look at verse 12. God said, I will be with you, and this will be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Mount Horeb is Mount Sinai. I think you guys know the story of Mount Sinai, right? You know what's gonna happen on this mountain? God's gonna give Moses the Ten Commandments. There's gonna be some really cool stuff. There's gonna be some amazing worship. This is the mountain that eventually, Moses is gonna come down, his face is all glowing because he's been in the presence of God. That's cool stuff. He said, here's a sign to you, you're gonna come back, you're gonna be on this place, and, and I'm gonna be here with you again. You're gonna worship in this place. This is gonna become a very special place for you. Understand that, Moses. Scripture says, I will be with you. God gave Moses confidence that Moses would not be alone. He says, I will be with you. You know that Jesus says the very same thing to his disciples, Matthew 28, 20. He says, I will be with you always, I will be with you always. It's not by accident, Pastor Daniel talked about it last week. Scripture says that in the flame, the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, which is what the Old Testament refers to Jesus as when he appears, the angel of the Lord. It's a common name for Jesus before his birth. The angel of the Lord. It's not by mistake that Jesus says exactly the same thing that God in the burning bush says. The burning bush says, the angel of the Lord appeared in the burning bush and God said. So it quickly refers to the angel of the Lord as God, as we know. We, church, can have this same confidence because Jesus has given that as he sent us out and said, I will always be with you. Even if you can't talk, if you don't know what to say when people come to you, I will always be with you. I'm always with you. I'm with you when you're hurting. I'm I'm with you when you're joyful. I'm with you in every moment of your life. I'm with you when you're scared to share with your family or with your neighbor or with anyone. I'm with you. God gave him confidence and we can have confidence too. Verse 13, it says, then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered through all generation. What's your name, God? What's your name? Moses knew God's name. Moses knew God's name. God's name was Elohim. God's name was El Shaddai, God Almighty. Moses wrote the scripture, and in the beginning it says, In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. That was God's name. El Shaddai, God Almighty, that was God's name. So, why does Moses say, Hey, uh, what's your name? Because he knew he needed something special. He needed some in with the Hebrew people that would let them know without a shadow of doubt that it was God Almighty, El Shaddai, Elohim, who had sent him to them. He needed this. And this I am has sent me to you. This is the name Jehovah, the Hebrew name Yahweh, the name that the Israelites, that the Pharisees and the Sadducees won't even say out loud. This is a sacred name of God that has just been given to Moses. This will become God's most sacred name amongst the Hebrew people, partially because it's this name by which God delivered them, which God redeemed them from the wicked generation that had them kept captive. This name is very important. It means I am everything. I'm everything. It means that I control everything. I'm the creator of all things. And if you think about it in contrast to the Egyptians, now I love history, I teach history, I'm a school teacher, okay? I teach history and Bible in a Christian school. Um, And if you think about it in contrast to the Egyptians, the Egyptians had a ton of gods, a whole bunch of different gods. And each God in Egyptian history, same in Greek history, same in a lot of histories, each God has an individual assignment. This is the God of death. This is the God of the sky. This is the God of the sea. This is the God that takes you to the underworld where you'll have uh, the next life. This is the God of healing. This is the God of the sun. And each one had an individual name. And what God is saying in contrast to all of these gods is I am everything, all-consuming God. I am, period. I am, period. This is the God that we serve. This is the God we serve. And church, this is further evidence that that flame in that bush is also Jesus. Why? Because in John 8, 58, what did Jesus say? Jesus looked at the Pharisees and he said, Before Abraham was, I am. Period. Before Abraham was, I am. And they picked up stones and they tried to stone him. Why? Because they knew he had just used that sacred name of God that was not to be spoken aloud except for by God himself. Little did they know it was spoken of by God himself. So they picked up stones and they tried to stone him, but it wasn't his time. It wasn't his time. Jesus would go on to use this statement seven more times in the scripture. And this time, Warren Wiersbe, okay, a great commentator. If you don't know Warren Wiersbe, I highly encourage you to look into Warren Wiersbe. He did this whole series called Be, okay? And so in this, it's called Be Delivered. Warren Wiersbe says, there are seven, I'm sorry, centuries later, Jesus will take the name I Am and he will complete it with various different phrases. There are seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. Now, if you remember, okay, we did, the, we did the Gospels last summer, okay? The purpose of the Gospel of John is to show that Jesus is God in flesh. That's why John starts out by saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and then he goes on to say, in 114, "The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among men; God became flesh Jesus." And so John's goal is to teach us that Jesus is God. And so he uses all of these I am statements all throughout the book of John. We see I am the bread of life, John 6:35. I am the light of the world, John 8:12. I am the true vine in John 15:1. I am the way, the truth and the life, John 14:6. I am the door, John 10:9. I am the good shepherd. John 10, 14, 11 through 14. And finally, I am the resurrection and the life. John eleven twenty five. 25. I am Jesus. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is in the Garden of Gethsemane. There's a bunch of soldiers, a bunch of people standing there. And they're all standing there and Jesus is standing there and he says, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus the Nazarene. And he says, I am he. And they all fall on their backs. Because there is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in this almighty name of I am. Amen, church. There is power in the name of Jesus. I am. This is one of the most powerful names that we see of God in all of Scripture. I am. And Jesus uses it for himself. Verse 16, continuing on, it says, Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. Church, he sees you. He sees you. I love this part. God tells them, I've been watching you, I know you've been suffering. I know you've been suffering, I've been watching you. They felt abandoned. They felt like God had given up on them. They had cried out for years to God. All those years that they spent in Egypt in slavery, they cried out, God deliver us, deliver us. God deliver us. They felt abandoned and God says right here, tell them I've seen them the whole time. I've seen them the whole time. Have you felt abandoned? You ever felt forgotten by God? You ever prayed for something and said, God, why not? Why not right now? Why not right now? God's got a plan. We gotta be patient. Know that just like the Israelites, God sees you. He hears you. And he has promises that he will fulfill In your life. He sees your pain. He sees your hurt. He has a purpose. We're not always going to understand it, church. But he has a purpose. He sees your pain. Don't stop praying for deliverance. Don't stop praying. Paul said he prayed his entire life for God to take the thorn out of his flesh. We don't even know what that is. He said he prayed his entire life. God must have a purpose for it. Don't stop praying. God sees you. He sees your hurt. He sees your pain. Psalm 33:18 says, "Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him, on those whose hope in his steadfa- and those who hope in His steadfast love. He's always listening. His timing is not our timing, and I hate that. I know you guys do too, right? I can't tell you how many times I prayed. God. No, I need you to do this by this time. I think God just sits up there and chuckles when we say stuff like that. He's like, well, but if I did it there, then this wouldn't happen and that wouldn't happen. You wouldn't learn that and you wouldn't learn this and and this thing and that thing. And you're like, dang it. And maybe this person wouldn't have come to the Lord if he did it right there instead of right there. We just have to trust him. Know that he sees you. Know that he's listening. We always had a plan to get these Israelites out of Egypt. So be patient, church, be patient. Verse 18, it says, and they will listen to your voice and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us and now please let us go three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will outstretch my hand and strike Egypt with the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty, but each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. God is a God of promises. God is a God of promises. It's interesting, because when you look at this original request, let us go for three days and worship. No, we just wanna go for three days. That's, we'll see that when we get there. God's telling him what's about to happen. He said, I want you to go in and I want you to ask for three days. That's all I want you to ask, ask for three days. But he's gonna be stubborn and tell you no. So we're going forever. You could have just had us go for three days and worship, but nope, we're going forever. And it's going to cost you greatly. Isn't that interesting? The first request was let us go for three days, sacrifice in the wilderness, and then we'll come back. And then we'll come back. But that wasn't good enough. You know, God, He's omniscient. God is omniscient omniscience, omniscience. It means all-knowing, the fullness of knowledge. He knows everything before it happens, everything. He knew how this Pharaoh was gonna react. He knew what was going to happen. And so here he states that the Egyptians would give them their silver and gold and some clothes. God knew that the Israelites were about to do some traveling for a long time. They were gonna be traveling. For a long time that they're gonna be traveling. You know, they say that from Egypt to where they're supposed to go in Canaan is about a 40-day journey by land walking. It took them 40 years. I'm pretty sure that God has taken me Uh, through some paths and journeys that I could have gotten there much quicker if I'd just submitted myself to him. Um, But I resisted and probably went the long way around. Like that whole pride thing I was talking to you about? Yeah, that one, that's the one. Um, So it says they'll give him their silver and gold and some clothing. God told Moses that Pharaoh would not respond well. So he set up a traveling plan. He made sure that they would have the means necessary. He funded their travels. You see that. There's going to be clothes. You're going to need that. And there's going to be money silver and gold. Your women are just going to look at the Egyptian women and say, hey, those are nice earrings. Can I have them? Sure. Take them. Take them. Now, as we go forward, we're gonna see that the Israelites get all this money and gold and they go, ooh, this is all pretty. What if we just burn it all down and make a big golden statue out of it so we can worship something? God. <sighs> Sometimes we read these stories and we were like, I, I, I often do, I don't know if you do or not, these people are so dumb. And then I look back at my story and I go, that guy's dumb. Amen. <laughs> That guy in that story is really dumb. Oh, that's me. Um, I think we can all say that as we look back. The mistakes that you made, you know, you don't realize them until you've come past them a lot of times. So some commentators actually suggest that God is making sure that the Israelites are getting paid for all the work that they did over the years that they were slaves in Egypt. That's an interesting thought. God's making sure they get paid. They worked for free. How many of y'all like to work for free? Yeah, I didn't think so, right? Unless you're volunteering, that's not what these guys were doing, okay? And the labor was hard, it was hard. But what's important to recognize here is how God provides, how God provides. You know the crazy thing about God's provisions? It's always in mysterious ways. It's crazy, you ever prayed for something? There's a financial need in your house or something like that. I was a missionary for six years, so I did a lot of praying for financial needs. A lot of praying for financial needs. And it's the craziest thing. I remember one time needing like $1,269 for some plane tickets, $1,269. And I got this check in the mail that said, hey, we're sorry when we closed on your house, we overcharged you by $1,269. So here's a check. You did what? And you sent it back to me? Praise God. Right? Because that is the way that God does this, unexpected ways. Unexpected ways. Here it was with gold and silver and clothes, things that they would need while they were traveling around in the wilderness. God is faithful to fulfill his promises. Genesis 15, 14, God makes a covenant with Abraham and he promises to deliver his people from the land where they will be slaves, and he tells them, and you will leave with great possessions. In Genesis, when God is talking to Abraham, he says, hey, I'm gonna make you the father of many nations. And in the midst of being the father of many nations, these people that your, your family line, oh, they're gonna be slaves for like 400 years. It's gonna be awesome. Uh, but, but then I'm gonna deliver them. And when they leave, they're gonna be leaving with a lot of possessions. It's gonna be great. I'm sure that Abraham's like, I'm gonna have a lot of kids, but then they're all gonna be slaves and then they're gonna, and then they're gonna be rich from being slaves. Oh, God, I don't understand you. I'm not sure what you're doing here, Lord, but God keeps his promises. He keeps his promises. So as we look at chapter three, we see that we're holy. That's awesome. That's something to celebrate right there, guys. You have been made holy and blameless before a holy God. That's amazing. We see that God is always with us. Even when we feel abandoned, he still sees us and he still hears us. And we see that he fulfills his promises. Church, we serve an amazing God. We serve an amazing God. He loves you so much. This God, the great I am, loves you the one who created the universe, loves you. He loves you. This is Pastor Daniel Williams with Redemption Church. Thank you so much for listening to this message. You can subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Google Play, or YouTube so you never miss a message. The mission of Redemption Church is to pursue and to proclaim Jesus, and we would love to have you partner with us. Feel free to share these messages with your family and friends. And also, if you'd like to donate to the ministry, go to RedemptionDB.com. God bless you.